the doom may have come to Gotham, but Sam Liu has come to the cast of Cthulhu. So that is why we are here. <laughs> um, of course, uh, it is it is the spooky season. Um, James and I always try to do something special for Halloween. So um, we figured what better way to celebrate the spooky season by than by bringing on Sam Liu, the co-director of Batman The Doom that came to Gotham. A very recent episode. Um, Sam, thank you so much for joining us. Yes. Um, we're just going to get right into it. I, I know James has a bunch of questions. I have a bunch of questions. But I wanted to start out with, for you, what came first uh, in terms of your exposure and your love? The love of Batman or the love of Lovecraft? What was like? What was that like for you? <laughs> uh, whew, that's a... That's a good question. Uh, my introduction to Lovecraft was through a sort of like, you know, those sort of pen and paper, um, like role playing kind of games like D&D, right? I was a big uh, D&D fan. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. And um, I think I was a I was a D&D fan. I think I was introduced to it when like the Hobbit, the animated series came out, right? That Or not the series, the animated movie came out, right? Oh, I remember yeah, seeing okay. it in junior high school. For some reason, my junior high school had a copy of it and watched it in the auditorium. And I remember leaving it and just kind of going like, wow, that was, that's like crazy, right? Um, there was a group of kids that played D&D and they were sort of like talking about something, you know what I mean? And I was just like, what, do you, what is that? What do you guys, and they're like, oh, Dungeons and Dragons, blah, blah, blah. Well, it was this new thing that kind of came out. You know, it, it was the early editions where it came out in a box, right? There was just like a sort of a, a pamphlet i suppose you know what i mean <laughs> uh, just like two pamphlets that are in it um and uh you know in a little pack of dice right and so i kind of got into it like then in junior high school and so i played Dungeons and dragons it was like my obsession through like high school um and then we moved my family moved um and uh the new school that i kind of got to i found some like you know again D people that played um, but you know, I was getting a little bit older and so I don't know you can't really tell, but like, I was really kind of into the goth scene a little bit too, when I was like, you know, in high school, <laughs> um, just because of the whole sort of, you know, I mean, and gothic literature, I mean, like, you know, I mean, I'm trying to maybe justify what, what it is, but <laughs> I was really sort of into like gothic literature, right? Like the whole thing about like, you know, like Shelley's Frankenstein, like that was a big one, right? It's, it's, you know, I, I think it, I'm sorry, I'm going off on a bunch of things. But, um, you know, the whole thing of like, you know, I, I, I took advanced um, or AP English, right? And so we had to read a lot of like novels. And stuff. And it was all about sort of like dissecting, you know, um, themes, you know what I mean? Uh, sort of characters and that type of stuff, right? And so Frankenstein, I remember, you know, again, kind of starting to approach things with that lens, right? Mm-hmm. And it was almost like, you know, outside of the sort of the, the the obvious of it being sort of just like a monster, right? But like, what if it's like a metaphor of sort of like the people that were like outcasts or like different than society, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so um, it became very much more profound to me. You know what I mean? When that kind of happened, it was kind of like, what if he's, instead of just being a monster, he's somebody that's just misunderstood or somebody that sort of doesn't fit into sort of like regular society and stuff like that. And so to me, again, the whole sort of Gothic element is about that, just alienation, you know, estrangement, you know? Um, and so I, I kind of met up with some like, you know, other people that were, you know, I mean, a little bit of sort of, you know, from, um, I think they were like a lower class than I was, but again, like they were kind of into that, that type of like literature and they're like smart people, you know, in high school anyways, right? <laughs> and they played Call of Cthulhu, right? And yeah. so 
I remember like, you know, just joining in on the campaigns and that was sort of my introduction to it, right? And just tone, the tone of it, you know what I mean? And just how scary it was kind of, a, you know what I mean? It was like, almost like you're, you're gonna go insane and you're gonna die most likely. You know? <laughs> um, and so, um, just thematically, I don't know why, I don't know why, you know what I mean? I, I, but it was, I think it's because of, you know, again, just where my mind was at the time, like sort of my interests in, you know, a, a sort of a pseudo psychology or the beginnings of something that's psychological, you know what I mean? Theme-based type things. Um, it really sort of intrigued me, you know? Um, so I think that was, yeah, that was my introduction, you know? And even though it wasn't sort of necessarily Cthulhu-based, but, you know, there was another story, stories right by, Michael Moorcock, right, and like Elric of Nomi Bone, right, which is sort of like, again, a similar kind of thing, right, the anti-hero and sort of, um, I don't know, again, the whole thing of like just being the thing that's not, you know, the normal, you know, thing, and there's a, there's like a deep psychological kind of thing, there's a deep tragedy to it, uh, you know, and there's the, uh, the human, the human sort of will to fight, <laughs> do you know what I mean, against something, <clears throat> you know what I mean, like, it's almost like sort of, arguably insurmountable right so i mean again as a i don't know maybe an overly emotional high school kind of thing you know what I mean? you kind of feel like society is this sort of you know what i mean mm -hmm. or you have to sort of deal with you know what i mean just even going to school or like you know social circles you know yeah. I mean? um and just not fitting in those those types of things anyways uh, they, they kind of bled into each other somehow well and and that idea of the the human desire or tendency or philosophy to to fight against the insurmountable it's it's not a hop skip and a jump away to see how that translates to a character like batman because i think one of the tragic elements of the batman bruce wayne character is like he's he's never going to solve crime he will be fighting this for his entire physical existence and so I, I guess the yeah. Then when does when does Batman come into your life? Because the Doom that came to Gotham is not your first foray into DC animated stuff with Batman. Because you have the Killing Joke and you have Batman Gotham by Gaslight. So like, where does Batman come into your life? And and what how does he appeal to you as as a as a kid as an adult now? Just what is the appeal there too? Yeah, you know, I mean, I I think I don't think it's like too dissimilar to I think why a lot of people maybe like Batman, like why Batman of all people, right? I mean, there's 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 a lot of like superheroes that have, you know, a certain amount of tragedy in their past, you know, that are like ultra rich, you know what I mean? Like you have, you have Green Arrow, you have Tony Stark, you know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah, all right. these other people that are similar, right? Even Black Panther to a certain extent, right? Um, mm -hmm. yeah, why is it Batman that's sort of intriguing, right? And I think it's his damage, you know? Because <laughs> he is, again, like, tormented basically by the death of his parents right it's become sort of a cliche now and again people hate seeing it you know what i mean it, <laughs> yeah, sure. like, it was it was interesting at the time right and i think that's that's i don't know it starts going getting into a different conversation just about kind of like there are things that are sort of like you know really potent sort of when it came out but now it's been so mined to death where it's almost like people are like yeah you're, you're, you're doing that again and like yeah I, i've already seen that a hundred times you know <laughs> So, but I think, I think really like that's why I, I, I think, you know, because there's always sort of like this, you know, almost like a romantic kind of tragicness to me, right? It's kind of like, you know, it, and I think, you know, like Frank Miller, especially caught that, you know, in, I think when he did Batman, but also when he did Daredevil, 
you know what I mean? Like, I was hugely yeah. sort of, you know, into Daredevil, you know what I mean? Like, especially, you know, when he played sort of like the religious elements with it too. It's like this, again, it's this romantic, you know, thing of like something that's better, right? This thing that you follow because of a belief that's in you kind of a thing, you know what I mean? Um, so, um, I don't know, like, like Batman, is kind of like that, right? It's like, why is it that he doesn't use guns? He's following a code that was sort of ingrained into him when he was very, very young, and it sort of scarred him for life, right? <clears throat> so, um, I don't know, he's like a vigilante, but he doesn't use guns, you know what I mean? And so there's <laughs> almost like, there's there's a darkness to him, but there's a there's a code to it, and there's a, there are rules to it. Um, and ultimately, I think there's a, you know, I mean, he's not like the Punisher, you know what I mean? He's not like a guy that's just going to, you know, I'll kill indiscriminately, you know, for the sake of this one. He's not a, he's not the typical sort of like Frank Miller, you know what I mean? Sin City character, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. so he's like the light version of that, I suppose, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it makes one of one of her the arguably the greatest moment in Final Crisis when he's like, you know, I'm going to break that one rule and he pulls out the gun and he shoots Darkseid with a little bullet thing. But that's <laughs> we, we we could we could delve deep into the the, the nerdy of comic books. But uh, James, uh, James, I, I I don't want to take too much of the conversation. So by all means, um, no, I mean, I was going to say. So when you when you approach this um, story for, you know, Doom became the Gotham. It being an Elseworlds story, Mike Mignola, you know, famous for Hellboy, but this was before that, and him being a Lovecraft fan as well. Yeah. Um, like, so when you're like that, you know, when you, when you and your team are adapting the, these stories, do you prefer like the Elseworlds style because then you kind of can, even though it is a story that's already been made, you can kind of go a little more crazy with it. It's not as, I guess you could say, canon as like you know people can't get as upset if you change something or do you prefer like you know a straight adaptation or even like something original per se like say it's a never been done before you know script that's like okay we're just gonna go crazy with this one too what, what, what do you prefer because i i always like 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 the elseworld stuff like red sun that you also did i love the story and i love your adaptation and like i kind of like I like when they branch out more with the Elseworld stuff, you know, like kind of goes a little more crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I, um, I think it's because obviously I'm, I'm, you know, I'm specifically at a certain point, I think in my life, do you know mm. what I mean? Um, that, um, cause I've, I've done so many, I feel like superhero stories, you know, um, yeah. and especially Batman. Um, and, right. You know, ugh, because I, I I think about like with, with <laughs> I don't know, just like creatives, right? Like uh, musicians, especially, do you know what I mean? It's kind of like, um, there's the fan thing and then there's the artist, right? Or the creator or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever call it. Um, there's the thing that maybe, you know, you did and fans gravitated towards it um, and they kind of want it, right? But then after like 10 years of it, you're kind of like I kind of want to do something a little different, right? Because I, of course, I, I, it's I don't know. I always think about like let's just say like U two or something like that, right? Like you may be a fan of U two because of War or Joshua Tree or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Then like yeah. the fans will be like, oh, I always want more War or more Joshua Tree, and then after ten years, you think that U two 
would be like, I'm kind of tired of doing Joshua Tree. <laughs> I want to try <laughs> exactly something different, right? And then the fans may hate it, right? <laughs> and so I kind of feel like, again, obviously I'm not that, but it's just, I think just the whole thing of like, um, I'm more interested in basically, yeah, just just pushing into like an area that I haven't really touched too much before. Do, do you know what I mean? Um, and yeah. I feel like it's dangerous, right? Because there's a fans are fans of something because of a very core kind of thing, right? Like they don't want your Batman being this or doing that, like kill the joke again. I know we got totally skewered for that, you know? Um, yeah. But, but again, it's 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 a controversial story like when it first came out. And I think that mm -hmm. people maybe sort of forget that. Um, and right. it, and it's in what I think I felt like what we did was controversial. And I think, um, you know, again, the people above me that the writers and Bruce and also Alan Burnett, right. Um, Bruce Tim. Um, yeah, this is funny too, because, uh, and I, I'm not super throwing him under the bus because I remember we had a meeting this one time, right. I think I was working <laughs> at the time and, I, and we had like this, this writing sort of meeting. Right. And so we were waiting for somebody and I remember just, because Killing Jeffrey just kind of came out. We did that convention. And again, it was just this horrible like mess, right? <laughs> I remember, I was, we were just talking. You know, and it was like, man, like we were getting skewered. You know what I mean? And uh, and, and Alan's like, why? And I was just like, oh, because of this sex scene or whatever, right? That, yeah. that happened, right? And it's just like, why are they yelling at you guys for it? It's like, I was the one that sort of brought it up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I was just like, okay, <laughs> you don't want people. And it's like, I'll take it. So that's why I feel okay saying it you know um right. <laughs> just like yeah bring, bring it you know but again it's just it's the killing joke was supposed to be sort of like i don't know it, it, it's kind of like it, it's in its own it's supposed to be an elseworld story right yes and kind of felt like it was supposed to be sort of like dark you know what i mean and so but that i don't know this goes into the whole other kind of conversation for me anyway is that you know i understand that there's a certain amount of responsibility that's you know what i mean as a creative mm -hmm. um and there's certain things that you don't want to sort of like do, but that, but in a way also, I kind of feel like that starts limiting what you can do. Right. Does that mean that you can only tell family stories now? Are you not allowed right. to sort of tell certain stories now? You know, do you know what I mean? Um, so it's, I don't know, it's a weird thing because I understand that there's the responsibility element of it, you know? Um, but again, it's just, just, I don't know. But then the artistic side is like, are you not allowed to push anymore? Do, do you know what I mean? Um, and again, I always kind of go back to like art school. And like, I remember one of my teachers was just talking about how like, I'm going to butcher the thing, but he, but they, he basically said something like, you know, art is supposed to be the forefront of change, right? Throughout history, like mm -hmm. art is the thing that sort of like causes society to change, right? Because the masses only know what they know. And it's the, the people that sort of like introduce new elements that they adapt to, right? And maybe they don't even know that they like it. Do you know what I mean? But it's, <laughs> you know what I mean? graphics tv cinema, cinema music all that kind of thing right things that were sort of experimental and probably and maybe sort of like controversial at the time they're like very commonplace now do you know what i mean again mm -hmm. like things like say you know uh, we were talking about this offline but like the whole thing about like cosmic horror right mm -hmm. it's a thing that's sort of like you know who knows if people are going to get used to it or not you know what i mean i think that there's something there mm -hmm. you know yeah that's why I, I i really wanted to do this project um and, but I knew also that like a lot of people are going to like like it or kind of get it, you know. I mean, it's you know I don't I don't blame anybody for not liking it because it's it's kind of <laughs> wild and out there. It's a it's a you know it's a concept that you have to sort of be willing to go with. But again, I kind of feel like you know I don't know. I just I, just, I feel like it's a little bit dangerous if you're just going to follow the public, you know, because the public are going to demand something. And I understand it's a business, 
and you have to, right? But I don't, I yeah. feel like you're just making the same thing over and over again. You know, you're not pushing new things. You're, and again, if you ask the public, they're always going to say what they're comfortable with. They're going to want what they want, what they know they want, you know? Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but just it it does. It, it's the it's the blessing and the curse of of taking on a story with a pre-established right. character that has such history because it's like, oh cool, I can finally interpret the character the way that I've always that that he's always resonated with me, right. and yet you you have at the on the other hand these fans who they just want to see the same thing as has been evidenced by the last three Star Wars movies that came out. The fans yeah. just wanted exactly what they wanted, what they had before. Yeah. Um, but it, it can be cool. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not as big into comics as I used to be, but rereading a bunch of Jeff Johns, Green Lantern stuff, I can see like, I, I don't think he likes Batman that much just based on the power <laughs> dynamics in their relationship, which is like, Oh, this is, that's interesting <laughs> to me. Yeah. Um, but when, when it, when it comes to, to this story, the, the doom that came to Gotham, I, I'm, I'm curious as to like what came first, whether it was something that you always wanted to kind of make and then the opportunity arose or whether it was sort of like you were approaching like, hey, by the way, we're thinking of doing this one and you jumped at the chance kind of like how how did this project originate basically? Um, I think this this project, it, it was sort of a, you know, from my perspective from people that hate it, it's probably the worst, <laughs> but should have like handcuffed me immediately. Um, <laughs> But, you know, like, like Warner Brothers was kind of going through like this business thing, right? The whole the discovery thing, right? Yeah, so, yeah. There's a right. certain amount of chaos that's kind of happening, right? Um, and so I was finishing up, you know, the, um, dang it. I think it was Batman Sold the Dragon, right? I, hmm. I was trying to figure out, was it Red Sun or was it Batman okay. Sold the Dragon? But I think it was, I think... Red Sun came out before Soul of the Dragon. Yes, I, I believe it. So, because I, I believe so. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, 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 yeah. And and so, um, you know, um, the main, you know, I don't know if you watch the, you know, the DC direct video stuff, but it's like um, I, I was yeah, I with the James Tucker. Oh, you do? Okay, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we were sort of like the main, you know, like the creative team, right? Like Bruce Tim. James Tucker and I was their director, but I was like a junior producer as well, right? And so mm -hmm. um, they wanted to sort of change it up because we've been doing it for about I think five years or something like that. And so they wanted right. a new creative team to kind of come in, right? And so then it became a thing like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to be doing, right? But you know, right. I'm pretty, you know, I'm I'm like I have good relations with you know what I mean, like the creative people on the director video, um, you know, the upper ups, I guess. Um, and so they're like, well, what do you want to do? You know? And so I was just like, <laughs> I, I was playing Bloodborne. I don't know if you guys have played that game before. <laughs> no, I haven't played it, but I've certainly heard plenty about it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, but I am like, I was like in love with that game. Right. It's, it's, it's got like, like <laughs> cosmic or elements, like a lot to it. Right. Uh, and even how it's, it's very like vague mm -hmm. in certain things. Right. But it's like, just the people that were fans of it or something like that, they'll tie things together, right? And I was just like, you know, which to me, again, it's a little bit more sort of like a foreign, but specifically just sort of Japanese kind of way of filmmaking. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like American films, they sort of like, they need to sort of explain every single thing to you um, and how it sort of all kind of comes together. Um, but I feel like 
like foreign films, they don't, they have, you know, especially sort of Asian films, they, they sort of don't, right? It's kind of like they give you a little bit and you gotta, you may tie it together and you may not. And I think that's why a lot of it kind of frustrates like, you know, Western sort of like, you know. <laughs> um, but so Bloodborne is kind of like that, right? And so I was kind of, I was just like, man, I would love to do like a Gothic horror type of thing that's kind of like Bloodborne. And so some of the design, even though again, like we have a limited budget and limited schedule and stuff like that, right? But so I was trying to make it sort of like immersive, like just heavy and like dark, you know what I mean? Um, that's kind of like that, you know, but, and so um, Jim Krieg, who's sort of like the sort of the writer wrangler, you know what I mean? He's, he sort of, he works with all the writers, right? He, he's the one that's sort of like, he's the front man that, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of like, this is the project where I go. And so you wrangle the people and he sort of supervises them, you know what I mean? And sort of is the main, um, shoot, there's probably a glamorous title to his position that I'm, <laughs> I don't know what it is <laughs> but he's sort of in charge of it right um and uh so he was just kind of like oh there's a story called the doom that came, you know doom king gotham you know and I was, and, it, and it's sort of you know in line of sort of with you know gotham i guess like even though it's not connected right and so it's just like oh right right like because i hadn't heard of it at this time you know but mm. it was like it's michael Mignola story and i was just like Oh man, I love Michael Nolan. You know? <laughs> yeah. And so um, I was into it. And so, you know, I, I read it and I was just like, man, there's there's definitely something here. There's a lot here, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not, I don't know, it's weird too, right? Because it's, it's, I kind of feel like, I remember when, when I did All-Star Superman, right? I, I hadn't read All-Star Superman at the time. And so mm -hmm. when I was asking people about it, they're just like, oh, it's the, you know, it's, it's like a lot of people say it's the greatest Superman story ever, right? Right, right. And because I haven't read it, I'm just like, what does that mean? Mm. Right? <laughs> the relations, does he like save the universe? Is he is he punching out like I don't know, like right? You know? <laughs> um, and you know, it ended up being a very very personal kind of story, right? So again, it's kind of like I kind of feel like when people, you know, when you when like you're like, oh, it's an eldritch horror, you know, cosmic horror Batman story. What does that mean, kind of thing, right? But when I read it, I was just like, oh, this is very. I mean, it's very sort of like in line with Mike Mignola, right? It's it's kind of almost like the first Hellboy miniseries in a way. Mm -hmm. you know? Yes, um, yeah. And but it was a lot more sort of like a novel. I kind of felt like, do you know what I mean? Than sort of this summer blockbuster. You know what I mean? Which <laughs> I did want to do anyway. Right. Um, and so I was just like, man, this is like old, like Poe kind of like love, like yeah. Lovecraft kind of. I'm not an expert in Lovecraft, you know, by any means, right? I actually haven't read. Um, any of his stuff you know no um, but my there was a guy that was on our team he was a huge lovecraft fan and i read <laughs> him a lot right and he was like the like a production person right um and so yeah um i forgot where i was going with this i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> i just i do this to myself so then i, I guess how you, you mentioned this guy I, i'd be curious to kind of see or not see, but to hear more about those conversations, how you worked on it, because as we said in the episode, one thing or one of the things we're so impressed by is how the movie is so um, faithful to, and, and there's such care and concern for both the source material uh, or the character, the heart of the Batman, but also the themes, which are very much Lovecraftian and how 
I never even realized until I saw this how seamlessly those things blend together and how you really kind of I mean, I just mentioned before, like there is a tragedy inherent in the Bruce Wayne Batman character. And somehow you magnify that and made it even worse by not worse, but you, you magnified it and made that tragedy darker and stronger and, and overarching because it's that origin of Batman that we've seen time and time again. You've retold it or the comic retold it, but also in a way that incorporates that inescapable fate of a Lovecraftian story and just made it even more tragic, like Bruce Wayne as a as a sacrificial character. It's like, oh, man. And so I'm, I'm curious as to really how much you leaned on 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 this other guy and kind of like how he helped shape the story, even though even though the source material already existed. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of, you know, what I got out of our conversations, right, is just sort of like, like, what is what is Cthulhu, right? As far as like, uh, and what is this whole, what's, what's, it's a broader thing, right? It's not Cthulhu. So I think what it boiled down to me, right, is that it's like, it's not like the Christian Eden, right? Yeah. Which is very sort of personal, right? Like there's a care. It's like, I'm trying to manipulate, change, move, change your mind from this side to that side and make you do these things, um, which is a very humanistic kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. like, the Cthulhu thing is like he does. You are an ant, and he I, he doesn't even like under like he's not even thinking about you, right? It's just <laughs> you're my thing, and you're just screwed because you're an ant. That's just happens to be right. sort of in way, right? And so there is no benevolence. There is no redemption. There is there's none of that, right? It's just it's nihilistic in that sense, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, so even little things, it's kind of like you know the penguin in the snow, right? It's sort of at the end. You know where again in the book it's like the penguins up on a cliff with his mutant penguins and it's watching the boat go away like again the tendency is to be like oh they're leaving and you cut to the you know the bad guy and he kind of has this kind of grin or like this evil kind of grin like oh things are happening right but we we it, but we took that out because again it's just like that's not the right thing right it's because he doesn't care right. it's his mindless thing at that point it's just that things happen so he took the grin out like it's purposeful it's just on him and he's just blank you know yeah um, so mm -hmm. it's sort of things kind of like that right it's like the, the christian element of it right which is sort of the oliver queen kind of thing is right there's a there's a very human sort of redemption element to it right and i think that it's to me it's kind of like the coldness of it compared to sort of like the, the human element of it right it's like all of this sort of like there's a there's a huge guilt right the whole thing of like the sins of the father type of thing right on all of them right the you know langstrom man bat thing right he spent his life basically okay maybe i should start at the beginning ish i hope this is the beginning right now it seems to be like the beginning right <laughs> so we tried to hide the bats we did a little bit of like sort of research a little bit into just like the mythology of sort of bats throughout the different cultures, right? Like the uh -huh. Chinese, the bats represent luck, right? Um, I can't remember what, so Nate, there's a couple other ones that were, right? but, but, but one of them really stuck was just kind of like they, the, like bats see the unseen kind of thing. Right? Mm. So kind of like leaned a little bit towards that, right? So we were kind of like making this thing of kind of like, there's a, there's a connection with the bats, like the bats can sense this thing that's there and it's unnatural, right? they're part of like this natural right. order of things right and so they can't really do anything but they're sensors of it right and they protect or, or 
warm when they can't, right? Hmm. And so in the beginning, you know, we again, it's very subtle and, and sort of like a lot of people are gonna be like, who cares, right? It's kind of like the the flashback of kind of like, you know, again, like the whole thing about the re, the his parents dying, right? The big thing obviously is that he's stabbed by a knife, but it's all um, Oliver's father, right? Yeah. He's one of the original uh, four founding members, right? Uh, because he, you know, again, everything's going insane. Everybody basically goes insane, right? <laughs> like Penguin, again, his his whole point is to kind of go, this is what happens to you, right? It's, he is insane. He's out in the snow naked and his brain is gone kind of a thing, right? And so he's just this mindless thing that's out in the snow now, right? And so, you know, uh, I can't remember, like, one of the other ones, um, I think it was Langstrom's father hung himself, right? Because he kind of went insane. Um, Oliver's father, again, like, yes. went insane. Was trying to write it a little bit and, and killed, basically, you know, Thomas Wayne, right? Yeah. Um, but also, here's the thing in the bell tower where young Bruce... Arguably, again, Jason, Jason Richie is the writer of it, of, you know, the adaptation, you know, for our screenplay. Uh, mm -hmm. Talked about it. It's just like, actually, Bruce is insane. Like, he got became insane when he saw the madness kind of thing, right? And uh, so, yeah. so Bruce, this whole time, yeah. is, is a little bit insane, right? And this is why he's, <laughs> he's touched by insanity, right? And so, at least that's how, how we were thinking of it, right? Yeah. Um, but it's kind of like he saw the, the thing in the bell tower, right? Like it was, he was going to basically just go insane. But the bats, even though it looks like they're attacking him, they're obscuring him so he doesn't go insane. Mm. Hmm. So um, wow, they're yeah. basically swarming him to get, get him out of there, right? So later again, when we do the flashback, which is in the story, I don't, I don't know if that nuance was in the story, but we were just sort of like, you know, making up our own kind of thing. <laughs> sure. But in the story, the bats do sort of surround him. And again, in the, in the comic, they, they sort of take him on this surreal flying kind of thing over the city. And he sees basically the city's infested by monsters and stuff like that, right? So there's a conversation. So it's kind of like we were trying to set up the kind of like what it was, right? So when he, there's a part later when they start talking to him and they're saying like, he's basically like, you, were, you know, whatever, like you have to become the bat or you have to sort of, you know, sit in order to fight this thing kind of a thing, right? We didn't want to, you know, we, we just kind of knew, like, I think, I think it's this separation, you know, I mean, the tendency, I feel like, to, you know, is to tell a humanistic story, right? Mm -hmm. It's just to go towards the human element, like, some sort of relationship, re relatability. But again, like, the Cthulhu element, there's, there should be none of that. Yes. Yeah. And so, um, I think that's just kind of how we, um, I think that was kind of the most sort of important kind of thing. You know, uh, to me, even, even like, like, uh, like Raish, right? It's kind of like he thinks that there's a human element, but there's really not. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and then he basically he gets absorbed. His energy gets absorbed, and the thing just comes down, and he doesn't care, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah. so yeah, I don't know. I, I think that's just kind of it, right? I, I really try to push with the human character. You know, obviously with Oliver. You know, like his story just was super compelling to me. Be like, oh, I, right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little back on track of what I was thinking about, but it's like, <laughs> like Langstrom again. Like his whole thing was like, I need to research bats uh, because there's a there's a key with bats here, right? And so, but he was killed. So, right. and Oliver, who's 
you know, has the guilt of his father, but also see so he inherits the sort of thing that he understands like that there's an evil that's here and I need to, there's a, there's a certain point I need to fight it, right? And so he prepares it his own way, right? Which is basically mm-hmm. through religion, but also sort of, the, you know, he's a big game hunter, you know what I mean? And he's, he sort of like goes and he fights all this kind right. of, you know, I mean, to sort of reckon himself, right? He does, his preparation is how he thinks that he should, that he needs to fight, right? And so, um, we try to sort of incorporate again with Bruce the like you know all the sort of like bits from each one of them right like we I don't know if this is in the comic but we we had Bruce take basically Lang from his man batser right and so the man batser is the thing that sort of causes him to sort of become this bad creature right um, right and instead of a temporary thing this is like a permanent kind of thing right on top of all the other kind of craziness, right? And then, of course, he takes the arrows from Oliver. Um, and um, so, yeah, anyways, we, we were trying to sort of connect everybody. And even sort of in, you know, even with the, like, the Dick and the Sanjay, which is Jason Todd, obviously, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, again, because I think in the comic, like, as... Batman's going into that sort of other realm, right? He's just fighting, like, I think there's two werewolves or something like that, and just minions of them, right? But um, I think Jace was the one that sort of had the idea of, like, what if he has to fight, like, zombie versions of people that died, you know what I mean? His, his family, you know what I mean? Which is an extra right. layer, layer of kind of, like, I don't know, cruelty, I suppose. You know? It really, it really <laughs> adds it a gut punch at the end there uh, yeah. that, that was, like, I mean, you, you talked about how the human element was kind of taken out, but it was still there. There was still consequences, yeah. and like in in, I don't know. It, it was still it was that was the most emotional moment. It's like, oh god, yeah, these this, this was his family, and right. he has to go through this all again. But um, I I know James had some had some questions too, just about like even more general, of like you as an animator and how you got into that sort of stuff. Yeah, sorry about that, but I I did Planet Hulk for Marvel animation. Which- Oh, yeah. I always feel like that's yeah. Planet Hulk was like to me the best of the Marvel animation like movies because while while DC has like made this really great you know world of animation Mar- Marvel I felt like they just couldn't get to it. I don't know why it was like I don't know behind the scenes. Of course, it's probably something, but Planet Hulk I think was like to me the best adaptation for that story at the time. And like, and then like, you know, going back up, you know, one of my favorite series was extreme ghostbusters that oh, I saw that you had done. And <laughs> looking back at that. Yeah. Yeah. I know. No, I'm saying, but no, I, I actually really like that. Series. I think it's underrated, but um, yeah. that had like a lot of weird, creepy monsters and stuff like that. Like the animation style always to me worked. And like thinking back, I think they even had some, Lovecraftian stuff in in Extreme Ghostbusters, but uh, <laughs> but like going back to Planet Hulk, like, we're, like, like for the Marvel stuff, because I, you know, were you like a fan of the story of Planet Hulk and stuff like that, or was it just like, okay, we just have to adapt this big story that at the time was probably to me, it actually got me back into comics at the time, like for especially Marvel, like I actually collected Planet Hulk because I was, oh, they're actually doing something interesting with the Hulk again, like you know, usually the Hulk kind of. He has stages, and like even yeah. re- recently, with the Abominable Hulk, you know, like 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 it's been insane, you know, like 
but I, but I love the Hulk, and again, Hulk is also a tragic character, and yeah. I kind of like that you also worked on him, where he has a tragic backstory, a tragic father issue, and <laughs> kind of making him this like anti-hero, but then ultimately becoming the hero of these people, you know, and like so, how was it working on like Planet Hulk back back then? Yeah, um, yeah, Planet Hulk was I I hadn't read Planet Hulk. I mean, and, and to be quite to be totally candid, um, I stopped collecting comics. I think when I got into animation, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I think partially is just I, I don't know. I, I talk about this with coworkers, just about like the industry, right? And just you know, we're like the old men, basically, <laughs> like you know, uh, complaining about things like how the old days were better, right? Like even just the basic things like newsprint. You know what I mean? It's kind of like I, I hated the glossy stuff, right? You know? um, I think once you same yeah it's, it's kind of like you know when you when you make 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 things you know um because it's almost like when you have the glossy paper now you can sort of do a lot more ref, like ref, like fine tone things right and because right you know the news, newsprint everything would bleed and it would all just kind of like you know what i mean it's, it's better to be simple right so now it became a thing. Came a thing where it costs more, first of all, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then it took a while, to sort of like them to get kind of get their groove, right? right. And it's like a polish that I didn't I exactly. don't know, I thought was necessary, you know. Um, my biggest complaint was just, you know, again, like ten bucks before, you know, when I was a kid, you could get like ten comics or something like that, right? <laughs> and not all of them had to be great yep. because you had ten comics, you know. What I mean, you had six good ones and four crappy ones you're you're still good you feel good you feel okay right yeah. but exactly the, but like when the glossy stuff came out like you can only get like three or something like that right because they're like all three to four bucks or something like that yeah mm -hmm. and then yep. i just kind of felt like i couldn't justify you know getting sort of all these kind of things but i think there was something with the writing too that kind of happened do you know what i mean it's just i i felt like i feel like back in the old days there were sort of these givens right like you read a frank miller comic you know you read like a chris claremont comic you know and some other ones obviously right of course uh, neil gaiman was obviously a big one for me um and uh and you kind of knew what you're you're gonna get right it's, it's gonna be a good bar right it'll be up and down and stuff like that but still you're gonna get something that's like okay you don't feel too bad about it right um but i just kind of felt like again when you can only get three and you kind of want to get like some of your superhero, superhero cape, capes and tights guy at once, right? But then you also kind of want to get these, you know, more vertigo type, you know, well, for me anyways. Um, right. Um, but then things got, kept, I think, getting canceled or like you'd read something like, I remember this one, like in particular, that, like Chris Claremont had come back and he was writing the X-Men and Shang-Chi showed up, right? And I was hmm. just like, oh my God, I have to get this, right? And I remember getting it, and then the story just kind of ended. You know what I mean? And nothing really happened, and I was just so pissed off, right? Because I was just like, I paid $3 for this book. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And, and so there's four of them, so I paid like 12 bucks. <laughs> and the story just didn't matter, right? So I think I was just really pissed at comics, I think, at the time. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I worked at Image also, do you know what I mean? And so, you know, I mean, not to get too much on it but stories weren't like really that important and i think i was past the point of just like um buying it specifically for the art 
you know mm-hmm. the story I, the, the story needs to be there <laughs> you know what i mean uh, and i'm not saying it has to be something super super deep but it needs to like of course go somewhere <laughs> you know these mm-hmm. why, why am i buying this for? i'm not buying it just to look at the, the art you know <laughs> so yeah so i missed things like but so but again of course a lot of good things kind of came out right like you know again like red sun like mm-hmm. you know, planet hulk um yeah and a lot of other ones too and i ended up sort of again like all even all star superman right which is again like a you know arguably one of the right. best books, right uh superhero books and mm-hmm. so i missed a lot of stuff during that time i think i was i just didn't know where to look or it just became a thing where i was just like i don't know um I think the, just the industry kind of like soured me, you know? Um, and so I'm thankful. I understand. That, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I have to work on the book. So, <laughs> you know, just, just follow the North star of, uh, of Grant Morrison and you'll, you'll be okay. Is yeah, typically yeah, I think, yeah. I think where the confessional wisdom comes in. Um, but Sam, I know yeah. we, we, we could, we could keep this going for hours but none of, none of us can do this we're all old it's late we've all got stuff to do um i, I do i do want I, I do have one more kind of like talk shop question that, that i've been i've been curious about ever since i watched this movie because you know superman red sun um uh sorry gotham by gaslight killing joke it's all like it's directed by sam lu and then we see uh doom that came to gotham and you have like a co-director and i don't know a ton about animation so i can you just inform like what what does it look like working with a co-director on an animated series or an animated movie like this i mean how does it how has it become sam lu and christopher berkeley what what are the two of you how are you working together and how are you kind of making this movie work yeah you know that's that's yeah, that's that's a great question because again, it's just the yeah. you know, titles is is a really odd thing, right? Because it's like there's a director, right? Um, it I feel like okay, I'm, I'm trying to figure out so we don't, I don't hold you guys up forever, right? But <laughs> I kind of feel like in movies, right? It's like the director is basically sort no, of no. The, the main creator, right? But when you're in TV or series, the producer is the main creative right mm-hmm. and directors are episodic directors right yeah because right they work on episode one, right episode three then episode seven and blah blah, blah right and then another director's blah, blah blah right and so um yeah even though these are quote-unquote movies it's still structured like tv right the producer is like all the bruce tim um movies that i've worked on it's bruce tim yeah it's his story right He's <laughs> of course the directors don't write like the third draft do you know what i mean and we can pitch, oh, wow. okay. but you know, it's really up to Bruce. Bruce can just say no. And then you're just like, okay, I'm doing whatever he wants kind of thing, right? Okay. And so, <laughs> so it's difficult because I know the directors get all the credit, right? But it's really the producers right now. And, I, and I've said that before too, right? Because I kind of like, I, I feel bad being in these things and people are interviewing me versus interviewing Bruce or James because they're the, the main cool. guy. You know, um, so um, that the gym that came to Gotham, uh, I was the producer on it, right? And so the yeah. first like full length thing that I produced. There's no Bruce, there's no James, whoever, right? I'm the wow, I'm the top guy, right? And so I'm sitting with the writer, I'm breaking the story, I'm you know I'm looking at all the designs and I'm fixing everything, whatever. And it was a nightmare. Again, this this movie gave me PTSD. Um, it's very different. First of all. <laughs> there's a lot of things that 
didn't go the way I wanted to. Like I wasn't actually able to play the horror element with sound design, like a typical horror thing would be. Mm-hmm. We ran out of time. We didn't yeah. have time to even tell the whole story correctly. Like that plague thing, like I wanted to spend more, a little more time explaining it a little wow. more. Mm-hmm. So the whole act two is just like, we just went bang, 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 and just get through it because we have no time. Like they kept telling me, you gotta cut 10, 10 minutes out of here. I think three times they told me, you gotta cut 10 minutes out of this thing. Wow. And then the oh end, God. even with music and all that stuff, right? I was just like, we really need to play sound design because horror is so much about sound design, right? Yeah, sure. We didn't have time to do anything. Exactly. They, you only have the time to do like a regular like Batman story thing, right? Again, where there's no extra things. You're just they're walking. Okay, footfall. They ring a doorbell. Okay, ding dong. You know what I mean? Oh, there's a bell. Blah, blah. There's no atmosphere right. that horror relies on, right? But again, it's only the only way that horror can do it is that you're holding on scenes and you're playing with the viewer's imagination and the sound design is pushing through the emotion of it, right? Mm-hmm. But you got to sit on it, <laughs> but you have no time for that. Anyways, <laughs> um, that's what a producer goes through, right? So the, so the producer, I kind of felt like they're they're really shortchanged as far as credit is concerned on these, right? And again, I don't mm-hmm. want to talk about directors because they do a lot, right? Because the director basically is like, they do the basically the first pass of it, right? And again, you're only able to sort of keep the job if your percentages are high, right? Because if you're somebody okay. that basically you can't even hit like, 50%, let alone 50%, I would fire that, but you know what I mean? But <laughs> you'd have to hit like high percentage. You got to hit at least like 70, 80%. You know, do you know what I mean? Because again, you, okay. we're TV budget. We don't have time to rewrite it, reboard it, reshoot everything kind of a thing. You, We got to use basically what we got and we could fix it, right? It's the same thing with animation. We send it overseas to get animated. When it comes back, we can't just say reanimate. Right. It's got to like, okay, let's no. just, no, right. 80%, we can maybe call retakes on 10% of it, but the rest of it, we just got to make it work. Do you know what I mean? And so if it, wow. if it's poorly animated, you're stuck with it. Basically. <laughs> um, just, just try to make it better. Can you put a couple frames in between these two things right here? Can you smooth this out a little? Mm. Um, but so I, I was a, so originally I wasn't even going to get a directing thing on, even though, again, I, I pretty much broke the story. I pretty much, again, just that's, that's the, the, I guess the sort of plight of the producers in this case, right? Mm. Uh, Bruce Tim and James Tucker went on the film design and they deserve way more credit than they've gotten. Right. Um, or if you hated it, they deserve the hate. <laughs> um, and so, um, so in this case or whatever, like Chris, was directing, I think, on Young Justice at the time, and I couldn't get him early enough. So the first uh, act, right, the first okay. third of the of the movie, I had to direct. So that's why we're co-directors and stuff like that, right? Okay, got it. So uh, I think because uh, I've, I've co-directed like other things, like Year One, I co-directed with Lauren Montgomery. Um, was there two things? Oh yeah, yes. Price on Infinite Earth. Correct. I direct. I co-directed with her as well. And yeah, in, in those pure sort of like co-directing kind of things where I'm a director, she's a director. Like mm-hmm. in this case, again, I was a producer and Chris is the director kind of thing, right? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult, like, cause you don't want to step on people's toes and stuff. And it just becomes like, okay, let's just split it. Like you take this, I'll take that and whatever. And then we'll kind of like make sure it kind of all kind of comes together, you know? Sam, thanks. Thanks wow. for, uh, for taking the time out of your evening to, to chat with, um, Two little nerdy podcasters uh, on the other side of the country. <laughs> no, um, no. I mean, it's my pleasure. And, and again, it's just like I was 
I was actually hoping to hear you guys speak a little bit just about like, you know, what you guys, like what makes, like, like what is it about like, like what do you think the like cosmic horror needs to have? You know, what are the sort of like basis, basis of cosmic horror? Um, you know what I mean? And, and just, I, yeah. don't know, I just kind of want to talk a little bit just about even that, because again, like it's so, it's sort of new to me. I mean, I have my, what I like about it, but again, you guys are more experts than I am. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because you guys probably have read everything and probably have seeked out more things. And I'm just kind of like, because I remember even before I made this, I was just like, what is it that makes this a horror? Like, what are the things that I make? I, have, I absolutely need to make sure that I hit, you know? Well, I, I will I will say that I'm I'm much more of a Lovecraft guy than I am a cosmic horror guy. Um, just because of I, I don't have the the breadth of 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 expertise in, in the sense of there are many authors I have not read. I would recommend for you and for any listeners who haven't looking into a a group called the Innsmouth Book Club. Um, they are actually based in England. Oh yeah. They um and they've they've been on our show. We've been on on their show before, and they they exclusively are their focus is on cosmic horror. You know, guys like H.P. Lovecraft, but also um Arthur Mack and and all sorts of those those guys that that came up in there, and so they. They have a podcast. They have a website. There's book recommendations, all sorts of stuff that you can certainly look into. I, I, w- I would, I would go there. But my, for me, it's it's kind of a combination of two things. Of um, first, and, and James and I talk about this a lot. This idea that when you get to the end of a story, whether it's a film, whether it's a book, whatever, you realize no matter what, it was always going to end up that way. It's not yeah. as though there's an inciting incident. It's not as though it's human error. It's yeah. like as soon as as soon as we got into the story, it was always going to get to this point. That idea of an inescapable fate, that idea of you have no control over what is happening to you because there are forces, cosmic, the universe, whatever, that are beyond your comprehension and your ability to change. Um, that's that's the one for me. And, and it has to have some element of something outside our physical existence and physical reality because you can have that sort of inescapable fate in the sense of a human drama of you know someone who is addicted to something or uh you know a crime story kind of has that that idea of like well you made this like like basically as soon as the die was cast that's always gonna how how it's gonna go but it has to be that combination of the inescapable fate that has been put in motion by forces outside of our physical understanding or comprehension or control, basically. Um, and, and that why I find that terrifying is someone who is raised in a, um, a religious home, this idea of there is a significance to your life and everything has a, happens for a reason. And there's a specialness to you and to this creation and cosmic horror is like, no, it's not special. And there is no significance. Right. Right. And yes. your flesh yeah. is the the extent of existence. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, we're just we're bags of meat. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. everything yeah. I've been told is a lie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's 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 yeah. That's, yeah, I mean, I yeah, yeah. I didn't know how to verbalize that, but like, obviously, there's like the elements of it, right? Which mm-hmm. again, I can understand because I think I feel like most audiences are sort of like you know broadly like Disney people, right? Is especially the American audience, right? They want happy endings. They want things right. to have purpose. Like your life is meaningful. Your actions are meaningful. I was well, talking to like a, again a, a friend of mine who I think she was she works in sort of like you know the Korean kind of realm, right? Uh, area, 
and she was talking about Japanese cinema. And I was just like, what was the main, yeah. the first thing that, well, what do you think the, the, the big thing that sort of like, you know, the Japanese sort of like audience needs to get, right? And the, I think the thing that she said was a meaningful death, right? <laughs> which is very anti. <laughs> 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 Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. It, and it's and we were talking about about a, a bit about this off mic, but that idea of why why I think Lovecraftian themes, even if people don't realize they're Lovecraftian themes or cosmic horror, is becoming more popular and seeing it more is just this idea of societal structures, philosophical structures, organized religion. These these pillars that have held up what we as a society have seen as giving us significance and meaning are being broken down. We're seeing democracy break down. We're seeing religion break down. And just when it's like, oh, all these things crafted a narrative of why life makes sense and they don't anymore. And we've just kind of having a societal existential crisis. Like, well, what what is the point of existing or, or what is the point of me going on if all this is going to if, if all of this is a lie or an illusion, basically, yeah. um, it's yeah. It's scary. It's scary when your narrative breaks down and, you know, for, I won't go too much into it, but for, especially for Christianity, there is, there can be a wonderful cycle of deconstruction where you break down what you believe and rebuild it into something. It's like that does provide new meaning, but in a Lovecraftian or cosmic horror story, there's that breaking down and then it just stays broken. There is no reconstructing into something new and stronger. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's, and it's a joke on our podcast that, if a movie or a story has a depressing dark ending, I'm gonna love it because <laughs> I've and like we uh, no and, and like we and, and no and like we talked earlier, like you even said, why go for the easy story? Why go for the easy happy ending? You know, if it if it means something for that story, fine. But I feel like if someone writes a story that has an ending that really gives you a gut punch that makes you think afterward and go, wow, okay. Like, like to me, like the best stories have hopeful people in a hopeless situation. Um, but when, when the hopeful don't have the, you know, their hopeful ideas go away and then the hopelessness is there, yeah. it's depressing, but also starts to make you think about life and, and everything else. And I, I think that's more creative than just, putting a bow on it and going, here you go. Right. Have, right, have right. Fun with this nice like ending. You're like, you know, so anyway, um, I, I do, we do need to get out of here, but before we do, of course, I wanted to thank you again, Sam. And um, I wanted you, you know, to wrap up thank how, you. how can people find you? How can people follow you? And also if, if there's anything that you're working on, that's coming out in the future that you're excited that you want to talk about by all means. Oh yeah. Uh, thanks. Um, um, I guess on social medias, even though I, I don't participate a whole lot is <laughs> again, like on Twitter, whatever it's, it's underscore Sam Lou underscore. I can't find a clean, just at Sam Lou because I, there's a lot of Sam Lou's out there, I guess. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Instagram, Twitter. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, so I'm, um, I'm working on a creature commando actually. Um, I don't think it's. Oh, awesome. Nice. I mean, as far as like, won't get me in trouble. Uh, <laughs> but it's been <laughs> really interesting, um, but fun, you know? Uh, but really, again, just, you know, uh, 
Uh, it's hard. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so so that, that's what I'm working on. Um, awesome. Um, well, we are of course awesome. the Cast of Cthulhu. You can find us on Twitter. I am Nolan Fixes Teeth. James is Wonka Kills Kids, and we are together Cast Cthulhu. Um, as always, be sure to find all of our back episodes on castacthulhu.podbean.com or on battleshippretention.com. And of course, um, Sam's got upcoming projects. We have one more episode for Halloween and spooky season, but I don't want to spoil it because, as I said at the end of the last episode, it's not confirmed yet. So I don't want to put it out there in the universe if it's not actually going to happen, but it is going to be another interview, hopefully, with someone really cool. So stay tuned to our social media channels to find out more about that. Sam, again, a thousand times, thank you so much for coming on. This is great. If it wasn't getting late and I wasn't 40 years old with a baby, I would have stayed for much longer. But those things in powerful combination um, lead to sleepiness. So I I do have to get out of here. But thank you again for joining us. Um, And listeners, be sure to tune in next time. We'll be talking to someone else really cool again, hopefully... In the meantime, we'll be raiding and dreaming with dead Cthulhu in his house in Relia.